uh, tonight. Um, we were reading from First Peter, but we're actually going to study uh, Hebrews chapter 12, uh, the first couple verses. And I think that they really actually play along with one another. Uh, as Peter was writing there at the, in First Peter 2 at the very end, where he's calling that you have been called to this. Uh, the writer of the Hebrews, of the letter to the Hebrews, uh, is speaking to the same sort of effect. Throughout the Bible, though, um, you are probably aware of this, that the Christian life, the life that we are called to as believers in Christ, as those who would say that we believe in Jesus Christ as the Savior uh, from our sins, uh, throughout the scriptures, that life is compared to a number of different things. Uh, A lot of different pictures of what it means to be a Christian, what it means to have faith and such. Uh, a, a popular one that appears throughout the Bible is is a soldier going to war. Uh, we are in the Lord's army. Maybe you remember that song from Sunday school. <laughs> um, I remember that song from Sunday school. Pastor Nathan does too. <laughs> um, it's a great it's a great image that we are, are not a part of this world, so to speak. That we, we are called to a serious calling, and that there is an enemy that opposes us. Perhaps you think of uh, Ephesians chapter six, uh, putting on the Lord's armor and such. That's a really good image. Another good image. That I think uh, that we often don't remember often or often enough. It comes from the Psalms of sort of this pilgrim journeying through this land that is not his home. Uh, he, he, you, would, you would see that picture through his words of a sojourner, of one who is in a foreign territory kind of going through. He's a pilgrim uh, sort of traveling. Another one that is often uh, referred to throughout the Gospels, of course, is that of a lamb under the care of a shepherd. This is perhaps the most enduring and, I would say, endearing image of what it means to be a Christian, uh, that we have a tender, loving shepherd who cares for us, who uh, seeks our good, who is wanting to uh, pr- impart his goodness to us in protective care. Uh, but I think another enduring image that uh, appears throughout the epistles as we come through the books of the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter and, and the writer to the Hebrews here uh, is that of an athlete. Uh, this is one that I think that I most identify with, <laughs> I li- or I like to identify with. The one who is running a race, the one, or, or Peter or uh, Paul, as he talks about boxing the air. <laughs> and he talks about all these different images of an athlete and what it means to uh, have that sort of discipline, to have that sort of endurance, to have that sort of perseverance. And what makes it interesting is that, that prior to Paul... The majority of sort of, of Jewish held beliefs would look at athletes, would look at sports in a very negative tone. Uh, they didn't hold that sort of arena in a very positive light, primarily because athletes in these days performed with no clothes on. Uh, that was a very not a good thing to do if you're a Christian, <laughs> uh, even in this day. So it was viewed very negatively. And in fact, so Paul referencing this in a positive light and sort of to amplify and to encourage sort of what it means to be a Christian was primarily done for his Jewish, uh, or excuse me, his, his, his Gentile uh, uh, audience. Uh, you can see this in, in a couple times, and I think that this is what makes Paul's ministry so fascinating. Is that he's using something that they were perhaps familiar with, perhaps something that they had even participated in, and he's using it for his sort of own benefit in order to get the gospel in terms of what they understood. He's using something from their background in order to make it more clearly understood. This is what it means to be a Christian. A good example of this, go there quick, is 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, look at verse 24. 
1 Corinthians 9.24, this is a really good example of Paul using the sort of arena of sports and athletics to uh, explain uh, what it means to be a Christian. Notice he says in verse 24 of 1 Corinthians 9, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but what one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Here he's talking about the discipline, the focus, the self-control that comes into play, that I would say required and necessary to live a life of faith. One that is not distracted, one that is not uh, carried about by so many different things. It's a runner who has this discipline. As he says, I put my body into subjection. This, of course, is, uh, really, uh, was really apt and relevant to his readers at Corinth. They were the home of the Isthmian Games, which is a precursor to the Olympic Games back in ancient times. He's writing to their context, explaining the gospel in terms they could clearly understand. He's writing in terms that they could clearly identify with. I think, though, our text for tonight, Hebrews chapter 12, provides, at least for me, one of the more... Uh, Clear and enduring examples of what uh, of what we're getting at in terms of using athletics and that sort of sports motif to explain the gospel. Though this is not Paul uh, officially, so to speak, the writer to the Hebrews is unidentified. But here, I think the writer perfectly encapsulates what it means to be a Christian in these first two verses. Notice what he says. These are perhaps really familiar to you. Perhaps verses that you might call your quote life verses. The writer says this, therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which doth so easily, or excuse me, which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What incredible verses. What incredible truths that the reader is here uh, being given through this wonderful image of a runner focusing in his race and running as he said, or excuse me, as the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, to receive this crown which does not perish, which does not fade away. And here this author is encouraging his readers to run with endurance. Clearly the Christian life is not a sprint. It's not a 50 yard dash. We might all be good at that if that's what it meant to be a Christian. <laughs> it's a cross-country run. And I can vouch, I, have, I, used, to have, I used to battle asthma. <laughs> I could not do any sort of long-distance running. <laughs> I was good on the sprints, <laughs> not good on, on long distance. Maybe that's you when it comes to your faith sometimes. You feel like, I can sprint, <laughs> but I can't do any sort of long distance. I can't get there. How do I endure? This author here is calling me to run this race with endurance. Maybe you feel like you just don't have that in you. That this admonishment, I understand it. But how do I get there? How do I run with endurance? How do I run this long distance life of faith? 
I think, I, I think he outlines this for us here in this passage itself. As he's using this image, he's also telling us, explaining to us, how can we run this race with endurance? And as is the title for tonight's message, endure to the end. Well, I want to look at three quick things tonight. It's sort of as they build on stages for us to see how we are to run this life of faith. Run this race of faith, perhaps we could say, with endurance. And firstly, let's notice in verses 1 and 2 again of Hebrews chapter 12, that biblical endurance is built upon faith. Notice verses 1 and 2 again. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. As you know, Hebrews chapter 12, uh, if you know math, it comes after Hebrews chapter 11. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 11 is a, a very interesting chapter. Often you might, uh, you might know it as the hall of faith, so to speak. It goes through 40 different verses, and it goes through all these different characters, of, uh, and it shows by faith this person did this, by faith this person did that. And it shows us all these incredible examples, significant examples of faithful men and women of God. And what they did and how they showed us this incredible testimony of faith. And their stories are truly inspiring and enriching. And we are told of how they have faith in the midst of incredible turmoil and incredible persecution. Notice verses 1 and 2 of chapter 11 as the writer opens. He says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. He says here that we remember these ones for their faith. They, they have a good testimony, a good report, so to speak. And certainly, we can be inspired by them. And we ought to be. The Moseses, the Noahs, the Abrahams, the Enochs that are all listed here. They remind us of what God can do through these great faithful men and women. But as I always come away from this chapter, I'm always reminded that it was not their faith that allowed them to endure. Their endurance wasn't because of their faith that they had intrinsically. And I think that that's the wrong inference that we often make from this hall of faith. That if I could only be like Moses... If I could only be like Abraham, if I could only be like so-and-so. And we give them, I think, a title of these faithful heroes that I don't think that that's what the writer was trying to suggest. Because what allowed them to persevere in the face of persecution, what allows them to be so memorable, is just the fact that their lives are full of blunders and blemishes. <laughs> Go read about drunk Noah. <laughs> Go read about how Abraham pretended that his wife was his sister so that they wouldn't get in trouble when they were going into a foreign land. <laughs> and he did it twice. He didn't learn the first time when it messed things up. Go read about these heroes, so to speak. By faith, David, <laughs> whose resume is, is not the cleanest. The fact that they are in this chapter at all is not because of them. It's not because of their faith. It's because of someone else entirely. I think it's meant to show us. To show us that the, the prevailing faith of this chapter is the faith of God for them. 
Which allows them to endure. It's God's faith that sustains these ones that are held up in so great a cloud of witnesses. He's the one that these witnesses are resting on. That are testifying to. Actually go back another chapter to chapter 10. Look at verses 22 and 23 of chapter 10. Notice the writer says this. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. That's their foundation. They endure because he is faithful. Endurance is built upon faith, but it's built upon his faith for us. It's not our faith that allows us to endure, it's God's. Because everywhere throughout scripture, you won't find our faith being described as great. You find God's faith being described as great. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. Great is his faithfulness. My grandmother's favorite hymn. <laughs> and that's what allows us to run our race with endurance. His faithfulness for us. His endurance for us. Not that we are so spiritually strong and fit and capable. I wish that were the case. I wish I could tell you that I am so spiritually strong that I can run this race with endurance and perseverance on my own. But I can't. Because any amount of spiritual success that I see in my life is not because of me. It's because of the spirit in me. It's because of the Holy Spirit for you whose faithfulness guides you every single moment of every single day. And as long as we're trying to run on our own, we're just going to be kissing the pavement. (laughs) I think of those awful videos that you see at the Olympics of runners who have trained for years for this moment. And they approach that first hurdle and they mess up. (laughs) You think of all those training, all the hours of training dashed. (laughs) And I think about that as it, as it relates to the Christian faith. That as so long as we are running in our own strength, that's us coming to the first hurdle and we're kissing the pavement. The first obstacle that we come to in the Christian life. If we have our lives of faith built upon our clinging to God, they will be lives that will fail. Lives that will fall. Lives that will be seen kissing the pavement, so to speak. Because we aren't strong enough. We aren't capable enough. And you see, this is, this is the, uh, the upside down way that the, the life of the Christian works. That, as, that was so well articulated by John the Baptist. That our faith increases as our faith in ourselves decreases. He must increase. I must decrease. As my faith grows and grows and grows to see how great his faithfulness is. That's when my faith truly blossoms and takes root. So endurance, biblical endurance is built upon faith. But then how do we have faith? Go back to Hebrews chapter 12. Notice again. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... These witnesses are those, I think, that he's referencing from the previous chapter. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. 
And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. How do we have faith? Because you see, if biblical endurance is built upon faith, I would say this, that biblical faith is built upon belief. There's a lot of misconceptions, I feel like, when it comes to this concept of faith and what it is, how do we get it, how do we have it, how do we grow in it, all those sorts of things. And one that I think is really prevailing in a lot of different places, and it takes a couple different forms, but you can kind of boil it down to this, that faith in God is a blind leap in the dark. That we're just leaping out, hoping that there's something that's going to catch us. And that's how we exercise our faith. That future days are really frightful and they're really murky and we don't really know what's going to happen. But all we have to do to exercise our faith is to let go and let God, right? You've probably heard that term before. I don't really, I'm not a big fan of that term. (laughs) Because I don't think that that's an exercise of faith. Perhaps you've heard the the old uh, sort of colloquial stories of of pilots navigating through mountain passes. And they say, uh, we're just going to put the plane on autopilot. That's my faith. (laughs) Maybe because God's going to guide your plane through and you're not going to crash into a mountain. (laughs) Maybe. But maybe he wants you to be responsible and fly the plane (laughs) through this mountain pass. (laughs) I think that's a really bad interpretation of Hebrews chapter 11, 1, where we saw that faith is the, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And I, I would say that faith is not a blind leap in the dark. Faith is not the abandonment of reason and responsibility. Faith is, I heard this one, faith is not wanting God more than anything else. A couple of years ago, a really notable theologian and pastor, he said that and he explained it through this article that I had a lot of problems with. (laughs) But he said this from it. I'm not making this up. If you don't want God more than you want anything else, you are not a Christian. I I had a hard time with that statement. (laughs) Equating faith with wanting God. Because if you're... uh, Maybe you you don't struggle with this. Maybe you live your life and you always want God more than anything else in the world. More than any single thing that comes before you, you want God more than that thing. I'll just say, I can't say that. (laughs) If if my faith, if, if my saving, justifying faith in my spot in eternity were dependent upon me wanting God more than anything else in the world, I would be in a world of trouble. Just confessing. Hopefully you can relate to that. You don't, have to, uh, you don't have to let me know. And I would say this, even, even too. I think if God only saved those who wanted him more than anything else in the world, there would be no one in heaven. Because this is the whole point of the Christian faith. Romans 5.8. He saves us while we were yet sinners. Sinners who don't want God, while we are enemies, while we are opposed to what he is and who he is and what he has done. That's where he declares our love for us. This is the grand theme of scripture. It's the very opposite of this theologian's assertion. It's the truth that despite our unfaithfulness, despite our our, our constant wavering, he is a faithful God. 
who declares that he loves us despite the times that we don't love him. Despite the times we evidence the fact that we don't want him. 2 Timothy 2.13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Faith is, I don't think, any of those things. Faith is not a, a magic formula or mystical sort of insight into the future that allows us to be presumptuous about it. Commercial, we've been talking about that on Sunday mornings in Ecclesiastes. <laughs> I would say this. For me, as I've looked at the scriptures, looked at these characters and their lives, faith can include stepping out into something that's unknown. Or uncertain, I'll say that. Faith can look like something uncertain. But faith to me, as I read the scriptures and come away from it, I've I've, uh, had to evidence it in my own life. Faith is a confident step forward in the knowledge of what is known about God. You see, that's different. It's not known what is known about the future. I'm not saying that. It's what, what is known about God. What do you know about God? <laughs> what, are the, what are the promises that you know that he has stated in Scripture? That's what you're stepping out on when you step out in faith. It's not a blind leap in the dark. It's a confident step in the sure words of scripture that I am your God and I will never leave you nor forsake you. My hand is always on you. My hand is always uh, supporting you and strengthening you. I am your shepherd. I am your Christ. I am your king. I am your father. It's the promises of the scripture. That's what we are stepping out on. Not just abandoning reason and abandoning hope and saying that it doesn't, we have no real thing that we're stepping out on. I think about this. <laughs> when Natalie and I, we moved from South Carolina to Florida uh, when we first got married. <laughs> we did so to uh, be closer to her, her mom and dad at the time. And at the time, this was a huge exercise of faith for me because I had never been away from my parents <laughs> I had just finished school and we had just gotten married. We stepped out in faith. (laughs) I didn't have a job. We didn't have a house. But we were moving. (laughs) Maybe you would see that that's kind of naive. I would say that though the Florida chapter of Natalie and I's life was the most formative faith-building chapter of our entire life so far. It's one that I'm very thankful for. And we stepped out in faith knowing this is a sure thing that we know to do because we felt that God was calling us to this, even though we didn't know what that future was going to look like. (laughs) That's kind of what God does, I feel like. He calls us to make, yeah, perhaps uncertain steps, but not necessarily unknown steps, because what is known is he is known, and he has promised to be with us. We cannot, Psalm 139, we cannot even escape his presence. (laughs) I think that's what faith is. It's the belief in an all-knowing, always faithful, always gracious God who has promised to never let you go. And who has promised to be by your side. Which harkens back to Deuteronomy chapter 31. And those wonderful words. Deuteronomy 31 verse 7 says this. Be strong and have a good courage. For you must go with this people to the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them. And you shall cause them to inherit it. And the Lord, he is the one who goes before you. 
He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. When you step out in faith, that's what you're stepping out on. By the way, he repeats those same words that the author does in Hebrews in chapter 13, verse 5. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. Faith is stepping out in the confident belief of who God is and what God has said and what God has done. And you see, I think this is the, the truth of it all is that biblical faith is never a command to trust in something that may or may not be true. Because it's a command to trust in who God is. That he is always true. He is nothing but truth. This is what the scriptures invite us to see. That is putting our faith in someone. Not just some murky future in a person. What is true about God. A great example of this to me is Psalm 72. Psalm 72 is is this psalm that talks all about this history. And it's a psalm from Asaph. And he's wanting the people of Israel to return back to their devotion to God. And what does he do? How does he do that? He takes them through a history lesson and tells them all the times God is faithful. He was faithful at the Exodus. He was faithful at the Red Sea. He was faithful in the wilderness. All these times. You can read it. It's, it's, It's a long chapter. He's impressing upon their minds what? God has never not been faithful. That's what you're believing in. That's what you're stepping out on. Not something that's weird and murky. You're stepping out on that truth above all truths. You know, there's that often the picture I think that's used in maybe youth group illustrations for faith. It's sitting on a chair. I'm putting my faith that this chair is going to hold me. (laughs) I don't know what kind of chairs you're sitting on where that would be questionable, but um, I don't know. (laughs) Hopefully engineering has gotten a little bit better where that's not a thing. You're you're exercising your faith on a lot. But I and I think that picture is is kinda is good, it's cute. But I, I the picture I always think of is the picture that is uh, that is we can arrive at through the life of John G. Patton. Did you know John G. Patton? He was a missionary to uh, this what would, we would know as the Solomon Islands in the South Pacific, and he was a missionary there in the late 1800s. And when Patton arrived to work on this field, he, he found that the people there, the natives, had no written language. They spoke, they could converse, but they had nothing codified, nothing written down. So obviously they had no form of the scriptures in written form. So he began developing the language and translating the scriptures for them. And the curious thing is that Patton found that they had no word or real big concept for faith. The word faith wasn't really something that was in their native tongue. And so one day, John G. Patton and one of the natives that was working with him at this village, they were out hunting and they returned from this hunt. Long day, and they they sat in these chairs that overlooked the Pacific. And the native turned to him and said, My, it is good to stretch yourself out here. (laughs) And interestingly enough, that's the exact expression that Patton used when it came to faith and belief. That exercising your faith in God and believing in him was stretching yourself out on who he is. So, 
John 3.16 could read like this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever stretches himself out on him should not perish but have eternal life. (laughs) That takes a little bit more faith than sitting down on a chair. (laughs) All of your weight on this person. All of your weight on this truth. Stretching your entire self out. This is, I think, what this uh, writer here in Hebrews 12 is getting at when he says, laying aside every weight. You're stretching yourself out on this one who has promised and said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Because I think the sin, as the writer here says, that so easily besets us. Is the sin of keeping a little bit of us not fully committed. I'm going to trust you, God, but I'm just going to keep this in reserve as insurance or something. (laughs) For maybe when things don't quite work out. I'm going to have this thing as a backup. Here, I think the writer is calling us to just what John G. Patton learned. Belief. Faith is built upon belief, which is exercise in stretching yourself out on this Christ. Stretching ourselves out on what Jesus did. Which leads us to the last thing in our text. Endurance. Biblical endurance is built upon faith. Biblical faith is built upon belief. And biblical belief is built upon Jesus. Look at verses 1 through 3. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, lay us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself. Lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Making a statement that belief is built upon Jesus might seem like one of those Sunday school answers, it's so basic that why do you even say it? (laughs) I say that we need to say it because it's probably so basic that we often forget it. It's quick to forget that our belief, our faith, our life is built upon this Christ, this Jesus. You see, this imperative To run with patience, to run with endurance, isn't something that you or I can accomplish in our own strength. It's not something that we can achieve or ever sort of accomplish through just a little bit more strenuous effort. Just a little bit more vigorous devotion and discipline. I'll give you this example. My mom, when she was... Undergoing her terrible season of depression. A season which I don't want to revisit, but it's good to remember. At first, she was not accepting of her situation at all. Hopefully, she's okay with me sharing this. I remember she was trying to just memorize verses all the time. Which was really good. I was telling her, you're doing really good. You're, you're trying to memorize all of these things. And it was almost like she was putting the weight on herself. That she could get over this 
malady that had overwhelmed her in her own strength. If just she could memorize just one more verse. And I told her, you're putting another law on yourself. You see, sometimes laying aside every weight means laying aside our own faithfulness. <laughs> laying aside our own ability to try and be, quote, religious. She wasn't really accepting of what she needed to, uh, to help her and assist her. And thankfully, God in his grace has worked, I would say, uh, a no, nothing short of a miracle in my mom's life. I'll just say, it's not because she memorized the Psalms. It's because she let go of her trying to beat this on her own. (laughs) She laid aside the weight of her trying to be her own victor. Because that's not possible. If you have a besetting sin that's in your life, it cannot be won over by you just wanting something more than that thing. It happens when you realize that that sin has already been defeated by this Christ, Jesus, who died on the cross for you. Maybe there's a sin that you just can't get over. And as many times as you think you've defeated it, you keep going back to it. You say, I'll just be more disciplined next time. I just will be more devoted next time. That's good and responsible. But that'll never be defeated until you realize that that sin is already defeated. Such is why the Apostle Peter, when he writes, he says that returning to that is like a dog returning to its vomit. You're returning to something that's a rotting, dead corpse. That's what it looks like when you're returning to sin. Because Christ has already vanquished it. There's a, there's a quote that you might see on like Pinterest and Instagram and stuff. By John Owen. I don't know how like accurate it is. Because you'd have to like go and research if John Owen really said it this way. But he says, be killing sin or it'll be killing you. Which I think is good. Because we should be devoted and, and we should, as we learned this morning, be wise in terms of knowing uh, how to resist folly. But guess what? Sin was already killed on a cross 2,000 years ago. Sin was vanquished. That's what you're putting your belief in when you believe in Jesus. That my sin, yes, I still, I still struggle with it here in this life. But guess what? When I am seen by the Father, He does no longer see my sins. He sees me as righteous. Why? Because Jesus defeated it on the cross. We endure, therefore. Not because... We are puritanical in our spiritual life. We endure because he endured for us. As it says there, he was, um, uh, where am I? Looking into Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured your cross. And took your shame onto himself. This is what it means to endure. It means to put our belief on this Jesus, who is our aim, who is our object, who is our sole prerogative, who is our victor, who is our crown. He's the one that we are looking to. John six twenty nine, Jesus says this says this himself. This is the work of God, that you believe on him who he has sent. And the Apostle John in 1 John 3, 23 says, And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of, the, of his son, Jesus Christ. Belief is built upon this person. 
this person who endured for us. I think that's what's summed up in that phrase, looking unto Jesus. Such a simple thing. But it's so difficult, isn't it? To keep our eyes fixed on that Christ. There's an old song. I, I, I can't remember all the words, but it has something to do with uh, keep your eye, uh, stay in the middle of the road. Don't fall into the ditch to the left or to the right. Keep in the middle of the road. Do you know that song? Maybe you don't. I'll find it. I used to sing it with my dad when we were at, at my dad's church. So I'll find it and we'll, we'll, we'll play it. Anyways. But I, I always think of that, that song when I think of this verse here. Because looking unto Jesus means just that. Not getting swayed. Not getting distracted. Which is so easily done. But looking unto Jesus. The author and the finisher of our faith. He began this whole thing. And guess what? He's already finished it. He's the one who completes it. In him we are complete already. Therefore we can run with endurance. Because Jesus has already endured for us. He has already declared us victorious. That's how we endure. It all comes back to this Jesus Christ, the Savior, the one who stood in the place of sinners and took their shame for them. And who sat down after it was all done, as it says there, on the right hand of the throne of God. Why? Because all of the atonement that was necessary was done in him. Once for all is the phrase that's repeated in Hebrews and in Romans. It was a sacrifice once for all. It means we don't have to keep going to the temple and slaughtering lambs. <laughs> I for one am thankful for that. <laughs> we don't have to keep killing animals. We don't have to keep doing all of these things that the law required. Why? Because he completed it in himself. Therefore, we endure because he endured. What is your faith built on? What is your belief built on? Is it something else or is it this Christ? Is it this Savior? Let us pray.